Welcome to a special edition of Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor. Today we will be exploring the history of the famous RMS Queen Mary and her uncertain fate. Before we dive in, please remember that I'm not a mariner or expert in the field of maritime history, but I have done my research and will present it as I understand it with accurate nautical terminology. RMS Queen Mary is a 1930s Cunard White Star ocean liner that miraculously is still in existence today. Her home nowadays is Long Beach, California, where she is a floating attraction and hotel. She was one of the rare ships built under the Cunard White Star name just after the merger and before the name switched back over to Cunard. The Queen Mary has a rich history, though her future seems bleak. If you're wondering why, we'll get into that in a bit. Before that, we will briefly go over her history. RMS Queen Mary was built by John Brown and Company in Clydebank, Scotland for Cunard White Star, being ordered on April 3, 1929, and construction beginning on the ship, then known only as Hull Number 534, in December of 1930. Construction was halted in December of 1931 due to the Great Depression, with Cunard having to take out a government loan to complete the liner. She was completed after the Cunard White Star merger in 1934, being launched on September 26th of that year. She would run the Southampton to New York City route with a stop in Cherbourg, much like Titanic's route. She was named after Mary of Tech, the consort of King George V, and the naming of the ship has an interesting, unconfirmed story. Apparently, the ship was going to be named Victoria to stick with Cunard's traditional suffix of IA, However, when Cunard went to King George V and asked if they could name their brand new ocean liner after, quote, the greatest queen, he responded that his wife, Mary of Tech, would be honored. So then Cunard knew they couldn't just name the ship Victoria and slight the king, thus naming the legendary ship RMS Queen Mary. The story is not confirmed, but is incredibly interesting, and I personally hope it's true. RMS Queen Mary is a big, beautiful liner, weighing in at 80,774 gross registered tons when she was built in 1936, and later weighing 81,237 gross registered tons in 1947. She is 1,019.4 feet long, has a 118-foot beam, a height of 181 feet, and a draft of 38 feet 9 inches. She maxed out at 28.5 knots for her service speed, though in her acceptance trials she was able to reach a maximum speed of 32.84 knots. Queen Mary was built with 24 Yarrow boilers powering four Parsons steam turbines that supplied steam power to four propellers, each one turning at 200 RPM. RMS Queen Mary sailed on her maiden voyage from Southampton to New York City on May 27, 1936. She sailed at high speed for the majority of her maiden voyage, only having to slow due to heavy fog on the final day of the crossing, and she arrived in New York City on June 1, 1936. Despite being more popular than her rival, the French Line's Normandy, she was heavily criticized for her traditional design. Essentially, she was an upscaled version of pre-World War I ocean liners, with the exception of her cruiser stern, with her Art Deco interior seeming conservative in comparison to the decadence of Normandy. However, RMS Queen Mary remained ever popular according to the number of passengers she carried across the Atlantic. Late in August of 1939, Queen Mary was making a return voyage from New York City to Southampton when the tension in Europe began to boil. She was escorted into harbor by HMS Hood, arriving safely and setting out for New York on September 1st, the day Germany invaded Poland. 
By the time she got to New York City, war had been declared, and she was ordered to remain in port along with her rival Normandy. In March of 1940, while Normandy and Queen Mary remained laid up in the harbor, she was joined by Queen Mary's sister ship, Queen Elizabeth, with the three largest liners in the world sitting side by side until they were eventually requisitioned to be troop transport ships. Like many other ocean liners that ended up requisitioned, Queen Mary's traditional Cunard color scheme was painted over to be navy gray from head to toe. With her new look and her great speed, Queen Mary gained the nickname among soldiers of the Gray Ghost. All of her lavish furnishings were removed and replaced with wooden bunks for her wartime service, as well as degaussing coal being adhered to her hull to protect against magnetic mines. Her wartime service was flawless for the most part, except for an incident in October of 1942. On October 2, 1942, Queen Mary was being escorted by HMS Kirikoa until the smaller ship veered in front of her suddenly, and with no time for correction, Queen Mary accidentally sliced through the ship, cutting Kirikoa clean in half. This resulted in the deaths of 239, and due to the risk of U-boat attacks while carrying so many soldiers on their way to the European theater, Queen Mary had been ordered not to stop, and she diligently kept her course. As for Kirikoa, 99 of her 338-man crew were later rescued. Queen Mary's most notable contribution to the Second World War was her incredible transportation of enormous numbers of soldiers. From December 8th through the 14th of 1942, Queen Mary carried 10,389 soldiers and 950 crew for a total of 11,339 men across the Atlantic, almost capsizing due to a rogue wave and all the extra weight. From July 25th to the 30th of 1943, Queen Mary set the record for the largest amount of passengers ever transported on one vessel, a staggering 15,740 soldiers and 943 crew for a whopping total of 16,683 being transported home to the United States. Even Prime Minister Winston Churchill was transported to and from the U.S. aboard Queen Mary, being listed on her manifests as Colonel Warden. After the war, Queen Mary continued her service through the 1940s and into the 1950s, with the biggest incident being when she ran aground off Cherbourg, France on New Year's Day in 1949, being refloated the following day and returning to service. Unfortunately for Queen Mary and her sister, Queen Elizabeth, 1958 would change everything. In 1958, the first transatlantic flight by a jet aircraft was completed, and thus began a whole new world of competition for the Cunard Queens. Now, London to New York City was only 78 hours of travel instead of multiple days, and the death of the ocean liner began. Especially during winter crossings, Cunard saw a huge decline in their passenger manifests. Some voyages, Queen Mary had more crew than passengers. By 1965, Cunard's entire fleet was running in a huge deficit, and despite this, they had already begun construction on a new liner, Queen Elizabeth II. To try and continue financing the construction of this new liner, Cunard chartered out much of her fleet. Due to the combination of the age of the ships, lack of public interest, inefficiency in the new market, and the after-effects of the national seamen's strike, Cunard made a shocking announcement. The Queens were up for sale. Queen Mary came dangerously close to the scrapyard at this point, but luckily for her, the largest bid that outdid that of the Japanese scrapyards came from the city of Long Beach, California, for $3.45 million. 
So when she retired from service in 1967, Queen Mary made her 1,001st and final voyage to Long Beach after having carried 2,112,000 passengers over a whopping 3,792,227 miles. She sailed from Southampton for the last time on October 31, 1967, with Captain John Treasure Jones, her captain since 1965, joined by 1,093 passengers and 806 crew. After rounding Cape Horn, she arrived in Long Beach on December 9th of that year, becoming a permanently moored tourist attraction, hotel, museum, and event facility. However, this is not the end of Queen Mary's story. In fact, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this video, the fate of Queen Mary. RMS Queen Mary, from 1971 to present day, changes hands many, many times, and she's never as successful as it was dreamt that she would be, hence why her fate today is uncertain. If she continues to be down on her luck, we may see a day where the Queen Mary takes one final voyage to the scrapyard. On May 8, 1971, the Queen Mary partially opened in Long Beach as a tourist attraction for Jacques Cousteau's planned Living Sea Museum, with only portions of the ship open since specialty restaurants had not opened its dining areas and Pacific Southwest Airlines had not completed their work inside the ship yet. Because of this, the ship was only opened on the weekends for guided tours. By December 11th of that year, Jacques Cousteau's Museum of the Sea opened, with a quarter of its planned exhibits ready. By the close of the 1970s, Cousteau's museum flopped due to low ticket sales and the deaths of many of the fish that were housed there. Despite Cousteau's flop, on November 2, 1972, Pacific Southwest Airlines opened Hotel Queen Mary with its initial 150 guest rooms, opening all 400 finished rooms in 1974. With that, PSA brought in Hyatt Hotels to manage and run the hotel, operating from 1974 all the way to 1980 as the Queen Mary Hyatt Hotel. Unfortunately, this bit of good fortune was short-lived. By 1980, it was clear there were cracks in the existing system. The ship was losing millions of dollars per year because the hotel, restaurants, and museum were all run by three separate companies. Meanwhile, the city still owned the vessel and operated guided tours. So these three companies were all paying lease payments that ate into Queen Mary's profitability. It was decided then and there that the ship needed to be managed by one singular company that specialized in attractions and entertainment venues. This is where Jack Rayther comes into play. He was a millionaire local to Long Beach who absolutely loved the Queen Mary and had sailed aboard her with his wife many times. Because of this love affair with the ship, he signed on to a 66-year lease with the city of Long Beach, California to operate the entire property, the hotel, restaurants, guided tours, museum, all of it. Ratherport Properties, as his company was known, also oversaw the display of the H-4 Hercules, nicknamed Spruce Goose, which was a transatlantic aircraft that could land on water. He added this in 1983 and it made the Queen Mary more attractive. His company managed the Queen Mary even after his death in 1984, ceasing their lease in 1988 when the Walt Disney Company stepped in. Rather Port Properties had actually built the Disneyland Hotel in 1955 when Walt Disney himself didn't have the funds to purchase the hotel that he'd been trying to buy for 30 years. When they finally succeeded in acquiring the hotel, they also took in Queen Mary. Although Disney acquired Queen Mary, she was never advertised under the House of Mouse as one of their properties. 
Even under the guidance of Disney, RMS Queen Mary struggled financially through the 1980s and early 1990s, becoming more and more of a liability for the entertainment giant. Disney had big plans to make her worth their while, wanting to build an entire attraction around her called Port Disney, with a huge resort planned on the docks adjacent to the liner. It was going to have Disney Sea, an attraction centering around the world's oceans, but unfortunately the plan fell through and Disney gave up, instead moving on in 1992 to Disney California Adventure Park, a venture they were already working on. The idea of Disney Sea was eventually used a decade later in Japan as Tokyo Disney Sea, with a recreated ocean liner called SS Columbia as their star. After Disney gave up on the Queen, the Hotel Queen Mary closed on September 30, 1992. The owners of the plane on display next to her, Spruce Goose, sold it to the Evergreen Aviation and Space Museum in Oregon, with the plane being moved on barges on October 2nd of that year. Queen Mary remained in limbo until December 31, 1992, when she officially shuttered her doors. During this period of respite, the ship was nominated and finally registered on the National Register of Historic Places in 1993, and the port of Long Beach turned over control of the vessel back to the city that had saved her. On February 5th of 1993, RMS Foundation Inc. signed a five-year lease with the city of Long Beach to operate the property. Queen Mary was getting another chance, and it was in good hands. The president and CEO of RMS Foundation, Inc. was Joseph F. Prevratil, and he had actually managed Queen Mary for Rayther back in the day. On the 26th of February, the tourist attraction reopened entirely, and the hotel saw a partial opening with 125 rooms available as well as banquet facilities. The remainder of the hotel rooms would open on April 30th of 1993. In 1995, the lease with RMS Foundation Inc. was extended into a 20-year lease to operate the ship. Another company, Queen Seaport Development Inc., was established in 1995 in order to take control of the surrounding real estate. The dome that housed the airplane H-4 Hercules was used as a soundstage for film and television, especially since it was much larger than any soundstage in the Los Angeles area. In 1998, the lease with QSDI was extended to a 66-year lease. In 2001, Carnival Cruises repurposed part of the dome as a passenger terminal for the cruise line. Later in 2004, Queen Mary and Stargazer Productions added Tibby's Great American Cabaret to the space where the ship's bank and wireless telegraph room once were located. This transformed the space into a working dinner theater with a stage, lights, sound, and scullery. In 2005, QSDI filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. For anyone not familiar with Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing, I'll give you a brief definition. Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the United States Bankruptcy Code is commonly referred to as a reorganization bankruptcy. This means that in most cases, the debtor retains their assets, has the powers and duties of a trustee, may continue to operate their business, and may borrow new money if given court approval. However, this does not eliminate their debts, but merely puts a new plan in place in order to pay them off. So, QSDI was filing for protection against Chapter 11 bankruptcy in preparation for it to happen. To say the Queen Mary was not making money would be an understatement. She was once again hemorrhaging cash. In 2006, after this filing, the bankruptcy court requested bids from third parties that were interested in taking over the 66-year lease from QSDI, the minimum required for the bid being $41 million. 
The operation of the ship by RMS Foundation Inc. was independent of the bankruptcy and unaffected by the filing. The following year, in 2007, a group called Save the Queen, managed by Hostmark Hospitality Group, bought the lease from QSDI. Save the Queen planned on developing the land next to Queen Mary and to restore, upgrade, and renovate the Queen Mary. During their time managing the ship, staterooms were updated with iPod docking stations and flat-screen TVs. The three funnels and waterline area were repainted to their original Cunard red. The portside promenade decks, wood planks were restored and refinished, and many lifeboats were repaired and patched. Even the ship's kitchens got a facelift and new equipment. So far, this was the first company to love and cherish Queen Mary enough to maintain the beautiful vessel in the manner she deserved. Then, in late September of 2009. Delaware North companies took over the management of the Queen, and they planned to continue the restoration and the renovation efforts. They were bound and determined to make the ship a profitable attraction for Long Beach. But in April 2011, Delaware North informed the city that they were no longer managing the ship. Garrison Investment Group said that this decision was not based upon the admiration for the ship, but rather it was a purely business decision. Delaware North continued to manage a Soviet submarine on display next to her, called the Scorpion, as it had been placed in 1998. Yet another company, Evolution Hospitality LLC, took the reins of Queen Mary on September 23, 2011, with Garrison Investments leasing the ship. The dome that had housed the airplane many years earlier was used as an event venue as well as the venue for the Long Beach Derby Gals roller derby team. There was no change in management for five years until 2016, when a real estate company called Urban Commons bought the lease, which extends to 2082 by default, obligating them to perform the ship's daily upkeep and long-term maintenance. Carnival Cruises ended up completely taking over the adjacent dome and made efficiency improvements. Urban Commons, the ship's operator, generates their funds through events, hotel bookings, and passenger fees from the Carnival Cruise Terminal, which is their largest source of income. And under the lease agreement, taxpayer funds were not being used in order to maintain the ship. Urban Commons had to pour thousands of thousands, if not millions, of dollars into renovating the ocean liner and developing the 45 acres surrounding her. They were responsible for developing parking with a boutique hotel, a marina, restaurants, jogging trails, bike paths, an amphitheater, and possibly an enormous Ferris wheel. All of this costing $250 million. However, much of this is still left undone. During a July 2017 renovation to a bathroom, workers stumbled upon a pleasant discovery: the gear room that had once controlled the ship's 16-ton anchors was rediscovered, after having been sealed up on, in the 1960s conversion to a hotel and was forgotten about. Two years later, in May of 2019, Urban Commons formed the Eagle Hospitality Real Estate Trust, with the goal of generating upwards of $566 million for the Queen Mary and its other 12 hotel properties in its portfolio. In December of that year, the city reviewed the finances of Urban Commons in an attempt to determine whether or not the city of Long Beach had "quote unquote" received all revenues owed. That's a lot of companies in a short span of time to take on and pass off the Queen Mary. However, that is not the only issue. Since the Queen Mary has not been properly maintained for many years, her condition is now reaching a critical point of no return. In 2017, the condition of the Queen Mary was reviewed, and the report states that not only the hull but the supports for the raised platforms holding the exhibition area within the ship were corroding, and that the ship was deteriorating to the point of leaving some areas of the ship vulnerable to flooding in its moor. 
One area of the ship especially susceptible is the engine room on the lowest deck. Repair costs for the ship have been estimated at a staggering $300 million or more. A year prior to the report in 2016, the city of Long Beach had put up $23 million for the most vital repairs of the ship, just enough to patch her together. Political leaders in Scotland, where the Queen Mary was built, called for then-UK Prime Minister Theresa May to pressure the United States government into fully restoring and repairing the liner for Long Beach in 2017. Two years later in 2019, the engineer responsible for the 2017 inspection, Edward Perbonic, issued a report stating the ship was in the worst condition he had ever seen a ship in his 25 years as an engineer, which is incredibly sad for such a historic and beautiful ocean liner. Probonic also claimed the neglect of her Queen Mary had only gotten worse since Urban Commons had acquired her, and concluded that, quote, without an immediate and very significant infusion of manpower and money, the condition of the ship will likely soon be unsalvageable, end quote. That, dear listeners, could mean the scrapyard for the Queen Mary. Now, to be fair, some city officials have called Probonic's view of the ship's disrepair pessimistic and hyperbolic, and that a, quote, significant amount of work has been done to the ship. However, I have to politely disagree. The flooding of the grand ballroom with sewage after a pipe burst because it was only repaired with a slap of duct tape doesn't seem hyperbolic to me. A large amount of water in the ship's bilge does not seem hyperbolic to me. And recently applied paint on the ship's funnels, already peeling due to a shoddy paint job, doesn't seem hyperbolic and pessimistic to me. The Queen Mary is in a delicate and desperate situation, and I find Perbonic credible enough to take his evaluation seriously. The $23 million set aside for 27 urgent repair projects ran out in 2018, with only 19 of the 27 projects completed as of September 2019. There was also significant cost overruns. For example, the cost of fire safety repairs was originally estimated at $200,000 and is now estimated at $5.29 million. Two of the remaining issues are considered critical, including the removal of the rotting lifeboats that are in danger of collapsing. To hear such a beautiful liner to be in such disarray is truly devastating, especially to us ship aficionados. The city of Long Beach had something to say about it in October 2019 when they warned Urban Commons that they were failing to uphold their commitment to repairing and maintaining the Queen Mary, putting them in serious danger of defaulting on their 66-year lease agreement. Urban Commons must have panicked a little bit because they released an updated plan for repairs, including the removal of the lifeboats, which in of itself would cost around 5 to $7 million. As we are all aware, in March of 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic spread across the United States and sent most states into full lockdown. This included California and the city of Long Beach, with the Queen Mary closing in May of 2020. The Queen Mary has remained unopened ever since, with the overseer for the corporations operating the Queen, Eagle Hospitality Trust, filing a motion in federal bankruptcy court to auction off its lease in March 9th of 2021. Court filings by the city of Long Beach state that Urban Commons repair work was either incomplete or done incorrectly and would more than likely have to be redone. With the current state of the vessel, it cannot be reopened until some of the more critical repairs are completed. In other court filings, Eagle Hospitality Trust claimed the lease of the Queen Mary was their most valuable asset, and there were no bidders on the lease after all of Eagle's other hotel properties were sold at a bankruptcy court auction. Eagle Hospitality Trust ended up surrendering their lease back to the city, 
and Long Beach once again took the reins of the Queen Mary in June of 2021. An architecture and marine engineering firm performed another inspection after being hired by the city, and they found that yet another $23 million was needed for urgent safety repairs in order to just keep the ship afloat and salvageable over the next two years. The report also stated that the ship has the potential to flood or even capsize, which could ruin the Queen. On September 21st of 2021, the Long Beach City Council voted on the fate of the Queen and ultimately decided to turn the Queen Mary and surrounding Pier H over to the Harbor Department, with the lifeboats finally being removed as they were putting stress on the already fragile shell of the ship. So, with all of this financial drama and critical damage to the Queen Mary, where does that leave her? As of right now, she sits dormant in her moor with no further updates on her repairs, reopening, or restoration to her former glory. To wrap up my thoughts on this, I'm first going to tell you my opinion on what I think is going to happen to the Queen Mary and what I think should happen to the Queen Mary. Just keep in mind that these are purely my thoughts. I unfortunately think that Queen Mary will continue to deteriorate until the worst outcome happens and she either floods or capsizes, rendering her unsalvageable and she's sent off to a scrapyard. After doing so much research into shipwrecks, I found that there is a lot of human error and mistakes made when it comes to ships. I think humanity has at least one more mistake in them. It would be horrifically sad if this historic war veteran of a ship ends up in a scrapyard simply due to negligence, but I could see it happening and happening sooner rather than later. What I think should happen is either the United States federal government, the city of Long Beach or Cunard themselves should fork up the money to repair this piece of history. History is priceless, and once a piece of it is gone, it can never be recovered. The Queen Mary is so dear and special to so many, and she's done such incredible things in her career that I think it would not only be a shame, but an unjustifiable waste to let her continue to rot away. She should be repaired and restored and then dry docked like the last surviving White Star Line ship, Tenderboat SS Nomadic, is in Belfast, Ireland. This way it reduces the amount of our environmental damage inflicted upon the ship. While sitting in her moor, she is merely rusting and rotting away. Unfortunately, the fate of the Queen Mary is still yet to be seen. But given enough time and money, anything is possible, including saving this historic vessel. As of the recording of this episode, the RMS Queen Mary remains closed to the public. Thank you for tuning in to this special bonus episode of Shipwreck Sunday. If you liked this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you liked this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a five-star review as it does help us reach more listeners like you. Tune in later today for the story of Sultana, the worst maritime disaster in the United States history, and tune in next week for the story of the Great Lakes cargo freighter SS Edmund Fitzgerald. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.